You are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover, a show featuring two friends who've been in the same book club for almost 20 years. I'm Carrie, and even though we've been doing the show for a bit, I often think to myself, my gosh, we could not be more different. I'm a curmudgeonly cat lover, borderline antisocial, and scared to death when Amy says she has an idea because that <laughs> usually spells trouble. Are they like kind of witchy ideas, witchy ideas. <laughs> I'm Amy. I want to be your new best friend, especially if you're a book lover. And maybe even if you aren't, I'm also a dog collector, a diet Coke addict, and I treat a good yard sale like it's a national treasure. Despite these differences, we both love wine, cheese, and talking to each other and sometimes a special guest about books. Each week we chat about what we're reading as well as other bookish things like authors in the news, recent book to film adaptations, Weird stuff we've Googled while reading. And our TBR count. We're glad you're here. It is officially Halloween season, so we're talking all about witches this week. The good ones, the bad ones. We'll share bewitching books that you should put on your TBR. But first, we have a correction I wanted to make, which was that last week when we were talking about the Louisville Book Festival, I said that the headliner is Jermaine Fowler, who, who wrote The Human Archive. It's actually, the, I misspoke, it's The Humanity Archive, and I'm still excited to see him. I've been, <laughs> we, and both you and I have been on the waiting list a long time to get this Long time. Yes. Right. Yes. Well, you have some family news. I do. So we found out fairly recently that our middle son, the one who's a chef, got married. <laughs> we have a new daughter-in-law. That's big news. It is big news. They they eloped in July and they did not tell us till a couple weeks ago. We're excited. We're excited to welcome our new daughter-in-law to our family. She is from Jamaica. And they got married at the courthouse. They're hoping to have a real ceremony in Jamaica sometime in the future, which I'm excited to go to because I've never been to Jamaica and that sounds like fun. But now that gives me a reason why I have to go explore some Jamaican and Jamaican American writers. Mm, there you go. And the other thing is that I am now a step grandmother. Oh, wow. Yeah, I am a step-grandmother because my new daughter-in-law has a, a daughter from another relationship, and I've already sent her some books. Just like a good step-grandmama would. Yes, and it has inspired me to read some more kids' books because the ones that I like, then I can recommend or I can send to my step-granddaughter or some, you know, grandchild in the future. It's kind of Very exciting. Cool. You just need to get in touch with your inner mammal. My inner mammal? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, well, yeah, the first part is don't call me mammal. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like that name. <laughs> I sort of like the idea of leaving it up to kids because a, an adult can say, I want them to call me whatever, but the kids, they might not be, be able to pronounce it or something might happen and... And there's a funny story associated with yes. the name, whatever yes. they, whatever they name you. Like I said, this is a step granddaughter. I doubt that she's probably going to call me any mm. of those things, uh, but I look forward to meeting her in person. And this, l let me just say that when I say that they went and eloped and they didn't tell it. So I have met her probably four or five times prior to this. She went on a little family vacation with us. 
the first time I ever met her, he brought her home for Mother's Day weekend. <laughs> I should have known that he was pretty serious about her mm-hmm. even then, that he brings her home for the first time at Mother's Day weekend. Didn't he make some vast improvements to his apartment dwelling? Oh, yes. Yes. He's, he called me one weekend and said, now, what do I use to clean this or clean that? <laughs> Well, it was because he had a new lady in his life that he was wanting to impress. So, yes. yeah, I should have known then. Yes. I, I've so, been thinking about names. Oh, good. So for those who may not have listened to last week's episode, I said that I wanted to give my car a name because I'm so in love with her. And uh, I was hoping to come up with a literary name. I did not care for the one that Carrie suggested, which was Bertha from Jane Eyre. So what about Lisbeth? Salander. You could just call her Sal or Salander. She's a pretty awesome character. She is. I kind of like that one. Lisbeth Salander is too long, so I'd have to find a nickname. You know, Sal. She's the character from The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yes. Yes. Right. By Stieg Larsson. Okay. For those who may not know. Yeah. She definitely hits that badass category. Yeah. Now, if you want to go all in... If you want to go all in on the whole witchy vibe, you could call her Elfie for Elphaba mm. from the book and the musical Wicked. Oh yeah. That's a good suggestion. But she's not but she's not green. She's red, right? She is red. She's red. Hmm. What else? What else? What else? What about Ramona? Or just Mona? So what's the connection with from that? All the Ramona books. <clears throat> Ramona Quimby. Or Beezus. <laughs> yes. Although wasn't Beezus like really proper and uppity and maybe. I have to go back. I don't remember my Ramona and Beezus. Yeah. I think Beezus was like a buzzkill. Ah. Uh, so yeah, I don't maybe. know. I, I mean, <laughs> do you want your car to be the party car? I don't know. Is your car the party car? I know you're not a little women fan, but I could also just go with Joe. Because I really do like the character of Joe. You could. Women. You could. I could. That would be a little disappointing to you, though. But <laughs> I, I like to think outside the box a little. Lots of people have read Little Women, but, you know, True. I don't think most people are going to go, Sal, what's your car's name, Sal, for Elizabeth Salander? Because she'll totally kick your ass. But I had a little bit of spare time before we started recording, so... <laughs> So, you know, I'm always listening to Fresh Air with Terry Gross, and they had Leslie Jones, the comedian who was on SNL on there the other day, because she has a new memoir out. And it was a really fascinating interview. I think all of their like celebrity interviews are, I mean, they're just really good. But she had a completely different story than I thought that she had. I hadn't thought too much about what her journey to becoming who she was is. She didn't even start on SNL until she was 47 years old. So she was obviously a little older than your average SNL member when she joined. But it said that she wanted to be a comedian since she was like a little kid. And at 19, she went to this comedy club in Los Angeles and she saw Jamie Foxx. And she waited for him after the show and she told him and he said, you're 19. You're not going to be any good yet. You just don't have enough life experience to be funny. You need to like go and live for a while and then come back. And so that's what she did. She had all kinds of like weird jobs, one of which was working for a Scientology um, 
branch in California doing like (laughs) cold calls and stuff. Oh my gosh. And then came back. And the other thing that was fascinating about it was she said she just knew she was funny. And it took her a long time to sort of have other people recognize that she was funny. Like it took her a long time to get recognized, Mm -hmm. but she didn't give up because she knew that she was funny. (laughs) And I love that. really funny. I love that. Like she just wasn't going to give up, but eventually people were going to realize it. I kind of think that about you and I, Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) One day. One day we're going to hit the mega jackpot of podcasting. We're just waiting around for somebody to recognize that. Okay. That is my nightmare. The thing I wanted to say is that she was in a movie in 2016. It was a reboot of Ghostbusters, but with all females. And it had Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Kate McKinnon. Oh, I saw it. Did you oh, did you? Oh, yeah. No, but I want to see it because I saw it on a list recently of movies that kind of bombed at the box office, but, oh, were, yeah. but were good. Yeah. I don't know why it bombed. Did you like it? I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be pretty funny. So yeah. I, that's the next movie that I, maybe I'll get some girlfriends, maybe not you because you've already seen it. I would but, watch um, it again. It's, I mean, would I'm you? All, yeah, 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 yeah. I thought that would be a fun October movie to see. Yeah. You know, like like, those are all super funny women. The name of her memoir is called Leslie. (laughs) I know Leslie Effing Jones. That's the name of her memoir, (laughs) Leslie Effing Jones, which is hilarious. I will read it just because of the title. I mean, I like (laughs) Leslie Jones anyway. I loved her stand-up routine. So, our we had a book club, and you know, in real life book club last week with the book club that you and I are in together, and we've been in for almost twenty years. And the book that we were reading was Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. It's been out for quite a while. It's a true crime nonfiction book about the murders of the Osage Indians in Oklahoma in the early 20th century. I think it was in the 20s, 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. And that those cases are what also sort of sparked a full-fledged FBI unit. To me, it was a fascinating book. I read it when it first came out. Not so much among everybody (laughs) else. There were a lot of people when we went around. I didn't read it. I read half of it. I couldn't finish it. Right. And what I've decided is, is that I think most of our members do not read any nonfiction. Mm. I think the problem that they had with the book was that there was a, what they considered a lot of minutia facts in there that it just they felt like it was too much um, it slowed them down too much yeah Uh, but I have to admit I was surprised because I would have thought now it's been a while since I've read it but I would have thought that this would have been a pretty accessible nonfiction book Mm. for a nonfiction reader yeah you read it more recently than me I did not reread it for the book club because like I said I had read it several years ago Mm -hmm. I did skim it a little bit I mean I know that you liked it but did you feel like it got bogged down? Uh, no, not too much. I mean, uh, I can kind of not pay attention to some of the particulars to kind of get to the point of the story and to get through the book. But I think we talked about this when we did like our remix episode with Nick Sullivan about the appeal of 
middle grade nonfiction books because I do think sometimes the books that are written for adults include a lot of those nitty gritty details that maybe adults don't actually care about unless they're, you know, just super into history or they have a particular interest in whatever specific historical time period that is. I was a little surprised. I was expecting more people to have read the book. There were a lot of people who got about halfway through, but everybody was super anxious to see the movie when it comes out in October. And and a lot of people said that, that they found the story fascinating and they want to see the movie. They just got bogged down with the, with the details. Right. But the one thing, if you haven't read the book, part, part of the crux of the book is that there was an Osage woman who was married to a white man and about his role in the murders. And my concern with the movie is that it's going to play up as if this was a great love story between Mm -hmm. these two characters. And Mm -hmm. while they may have been in love at one point, if you read the book, it's not a love story. It is not a love story. And so I'm a little concerned that for the sake of being interesting to moviegoers, they're going to play that up when that is completely not what the book says. Mm -hmm. I'll still go see it, but it'll bother me if that's the case. Well, it certainly has an all-star cast. It's being directed by Martin Scorsese. It's being produced, I believe, by Leonardo DiCaprio. And he also plays the husband that I think that you're referring to Mm -hmm. Jesse Plemons is in it and he plays the FBI agent who comes to investigate the case it's a favorite of mine but apparently not of the group so I guess I'm telling people this in case they're thinking about choosing this for their book club and if your book club is primarily fiction readers this may not you know, go over as well as you think. Mm -hmm. But I'm still glad that our book club member chose it because I think it's always good to push us outside of our comfort zone. Yeah. I guess we need to remember in the future, nonfiction, not a... Not a grand slam. Not a a crowd pleaser, at least not for our book club. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, tell me, what have you been reading lately? Oh, this might take me a minute. So the book I was going to talk about, I'm still going to talk about, but now I have to add another book to it. So it's kind of where I'm doing a twofer again, but it's, it, but it'll make sense. You follow the rules. I know. It'll, it'll make sense when I do it. I promise. Okay. So the original book I read is called My Friend Anne Frank by Hannah Pick Gosler. And this is a memoir of a woman. Uh, who was one of Anne Frank's closest friends when they lived in Amsterdam. So their families were friends and they went to school together. So this book is partly about Hannah growing up in World War II, what her life was like before the war, and as things got progressively worse for Jews in Amsterdam. And then at some point, Anne's family disappears and they don't know where Anne's family has gone to. They think maybe they've gone to Switzerland because they had told people that they had some relatives in Switzerland. But Hannah's family is still left in Amsterdam. We continue to get Hannah's family story of the things that they had to do, then going to the concentration camps. But while they're in the concentration camps, eventually Hannah and Anne are reunited when they're at the Bergen-Belsen camp. Tragically, of course, Anne dies at that camp of typhus 
which now I know more about typhoid and that, that makes sense. But miraculously, Hannah and her baby sister, they'd survive and they're the only ones from her family that survive. So this was a really gripping personal tale of the Holocaust. And it was also interesting because it follows Anne Frank's story, kind of like a parallel story, but from the point of view of her friend. Um, and I listened to this on audio and it was a really good audiobook. So uh, Hannah Pick Gosler, who wrote uh, My Friend Anne Frank, she went on to live a long life. She lived to the age of 93. She died last November. And I, and then this book came out this spring. But she immigrated to Israel after uh, World War II. And she still stayed in close contact with Anne Frank's father. In fact, I think, you know, he served as like a grandfather figure to her children. And then she traveled around the world, um, I think, for the Anne Frank Foundation, talking about her life and the Holocaust and things like that. So uh, she was uh, quite the woman. So, okay. So there's the first book. Now, when I was listening to this, I thought, you know, I really need to revisit Diary of Anne Frank because I was thinking that I read it like in middle school or high school. I don't know that I want to go and read the whole thing, but I would like to just sort of like refresh my memory about it. So and as it turned out, I must have read it, but I do. If I read it, I don't remember much about it. But Anne in her published diary refers to a friend as Hannah Lee. And that is Hannah Pick Gosler, who was the author of the first book I talked about. So I was interested in going back and looking at Anne Frank's diary, but because I didn't want to read the whole thing, I discovered that there's a graphic novel about it called Anne Frank's Diary, the Graphic Adaptation by Ari Fullman. And this was a very powerful graphic novel that gives you a really concentrated distillation of her book, because of course you can't include everything in a graphic novel. I really enjoyed this graphic novel. But what was interesting and disturbing was that while I was waiting for my library hold of this book to come in, I saw a new story about a middle school teacher in Texas who was fired for using this book in her class. Hmm. And the reason given was that there's some talk in it of genitals. And it's in the form of I mean, she's a teenager at this point, and she's, like, trying to figure out, like, you know, the way boys are made and the way mm -hmm. girls are made. And there's also a point in the book where Anne wonders about her attraction to beautiful women, but she's also attracted to boys. And the class that was being taught were eighth graders, I believe. So... To me, this is just crazy. I mean, Anne's writing in her diary about all these different things that she's thinking. I remember being that age. And, you know, you're just, you're questioning everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe Anne was bisexual. That's okay if she was. Who knows? But, like, to fire this teacher for this book, they don't actually show any genitals mm. <laughs> in the book. I just think it's crazy. Yes. I just think it's crazy. But this graphic novel was very well done. And in the beginning, it was like more pictures than text. Mm -hmm. But the farther along you go, especially towards the end, they include whole passages from her diary. So I felt like it was a, even though I didn't reread the diary of Anne Frank, I felt like this was a really good alternative to doing that mm -hmm. and still getting, you know, a lot of the story. So again, those two books were My Friend Anne Frank by Hannah Pick Gosler. And then Anne Frank's Diary, The Graphic Adaptation by Ari 
Fullman. Very good. What are you What are you reading, Carrie? So I read a book recently. I heard about this, it, but I think it was maybe an NPR interview. And so the book is called Everything, Nothing, Someone by Alice Carrier. And it's a memoir by Alice Carrier. And she is the daughter of a German actor, Matthew Carrier, and an American artist, Jennifer Bartlett. And I had never heard of either of them. So when I was reading the book, that is something that I Googled. Because apparently Jennifer Bartlett was a pretty famous artist. And Matthew Carrier was fairly popular in Germany, well-known in Germany. So in this book, Alice discusses her childhood, which was very lonely. She was an only child, and her parents sound like they were, at best, very self-absorbed. And they had had kind of their own trauma from childhood that sort of seeped through them into their treatment of their daughter. I mean, they didn't abuse her, but I would say they definitely neglected her. So despite having money and prestige, Alice did not have a stable family unit at all. And she began having mental health issues and dissociating during her teen years. And dissociation, this was something that I went down a deep rabbit hole on Google about because I think it's really hard to understand what disassociation means. Dissociative disorder is, it's where you feel like you are separated from yourself and your emotions. She describes it as feeling like she didn't actually exist. So imagine almost like your consciousness feeling like it's removed from your body. And, you know, you have a consciousness, but you don't feel like it's attached to your body. So again, you feel like you're separated from yourself and your emotions. You feel like people around you or distort it and maybe not real. Hmm. Maybe you feel like you're kind of in the matrix <laughs> at all times. What's real? What's not real? I don't know. A blurred sense of your own identity. She would just have this, this sense that nothing's real. I'm not me. People aren't people. It's really hard for me to sort of wrap my head around. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the But when I said that about the matrix, that is kind of what I imagine it to be where you don't know what's real. Is that real? Is this real? Are we in a dream? I can see how if you are experiencing that feeling, that is going to cause you a tremendous amount of anxiety. It sounds really weird and terrifying at the same time. And so then sort of as a result of these issues she was having with anxiety and dissociation, then she started using substances and abusing them kind of as a way to cope. So now she's, she's older, she's getting close to 40. She's in a a much better place. She has a, a longtime partner and her mother's deceased, but she reconciled with her father. But reading this book, anybody with any kind of mental health issues knows that your brain can sometimes decide to do weird things when you least expect it. So it sounds like things are pretty stable now, but the reality is because in the book, she talks about how she had these issues when she was a teen and in her twenties. And now she's in her late thirties, but she had, I guess like in her maybe mid thirties had another episode and that's kind of how mental health issues are, but everything, nothing and someone by Alice Carrier. So anyway, I, f- I thought it was a, a pretty interesting book and 
kind of a reminder, you know, we, we think that people who have money, white upper class people are probably really good parents. I think that's kind of a stereotype we have. And when we think about terrible parents, we don't include that group. And you mm-hmm. read a book like this and you go, you know what? Anybody can be a terrible parent. It, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic class you're in or what race or what religion or what job you do. Anybody can be not a great parent. Very true. But I think it's also important to remember that nobody is a perfect parent. So, no, no. you know, even if you're trying to be the best parent there is, you're not going to succeed. Right. Like, yeah. I think there's a, there's a happy medium there. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I know you didn't follow the rules. You gave two books. I gave one. So that's three books. But we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to. I mean, I assume you're giving five books. Or are you going to sneak in a sixth one? Uh, no, I, no. But I'm going to mention several that probably everybody has heard of and say, we're not talking about these books because you know these are about witches. Gotcha. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about what is a witch? We are back and we were trying to think what kind of theme could we talk about this week during October? And we have two upcoming episodes for you with different people about, you know, that are a little bit more scary. We're going to talk to a poor bookstore owner. And then we're also going to talk to a, an author who has written a horror book, uh, Katrina Monroe. So I, I wanted us to talk about some books that maybe will give you a Halloween spooky feel, but maybe aren't necessarily scary. And witches seem to be a good way to do this because not all witches are scary. We should say your original, because you had a first suggestion before witches, which was, I think it was cozy autumn books or cozy. That went over like a lead pipe. So yeah, you don't do cozy very well. I don't do cozy. So then you you switch gears and and I was able to I was able to come through on witches. But before we start talking about that, you kind of get in the weeds sometimes on classification and like how we classify things. And so what is your issue at the moment about witches? I don't have an issue about witches. Well, you were, you were, yeah, you you were wanting to, how do we define witches? That was, I think. Yes, that's true. Because as I was looking at my list, I thought, you know, some people think of witches as being evil, right? Mm -hmm. But then, like, in at least one of the books, or maybe even two of the books that I'm going to talk about, the witches aren't necessarily evil. Mm -hmm. They just have some extra powers. Mm. magical powers that normies don't have. So I was wondering, what is the definition of a witch? Do you want me to Google it? I do. I want you to Google Uh, it because you like to Google. I do like to Google, but I'm going to throw this out there. A witch doesn't have to be anything other than a normal person. I mean, if you think historically, women were considered witches because they were women because they were single women, because they were educated women, or because they were older women. And God help you if you were all of those, a single, older, educated woman. So I think that 
when we think about witches, it could be a woman who's just misunderstood. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, but okay, so the official the official Miriam Webster definition is a person, especially a woman who is credited with having usually malignant supernatural powers. But then Mal- there's yeah. also malignant. Yeah. A woman yeah. who is believed to practice usually black magic, often with the aid of a devil or familiar, a practitioner of witchcraft, a mean or ugly old woman. Oh, or a charming or alluring girl or woman. So see, okay. it doesn't matter. You can be young and beautiful. You're a witch. You can be an old crone. You're a witch. Yeah. A witch is a woman. I really, I really believe that. And and a lot of my books, they're misunderstood. I, I, I do think that's key. You know, I have to say, as as I was coming up with my list, there are some books that obviously I have read that I think are great witch books, but they're books that have been talked about a lot, mm-hmm. like Circe by Madeline right. Miller. I, you know, that main characters. Yes. You talked about that. Mm-hmm. Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman. That is like you know a, a, a contemporary classic of sort of witchy literature. And, you know, I talked about one recently that I thought had a really cool witch, which was the Nettle and Bone uh, by T. Kingfisher. So we're not going to talk about any of those. We're going to talk about some that maybe you haven't read. Or Uh, maybe they fall under the, under your radar. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. What you got? So the first book I'm going to mention, I had suggested Alfaba as a name for your car. And that comes from the Broadway show Wicked, which I saw last night. It was right. a fantastic show. Um, so, of course, I have to mention Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. So I read this a long time ago, but I had forgotten a lot of what happens in the novel. I had forgotten how much it's about, not so much witchiness as about political intrigue, the political intrigue of Oz. And the story involves the treatment of animals that can speak, and they seem very human-like. So in the novel, there's all sorts of corrupt political characters, and the musical kind of glosses over that because it has to. It sort of takes one of the major issues, which is the treatment of animals, And makes that the focus. But the book is a lot more expansive. The gist of the story, though, is that Elphaba, the Wicked Witch of the West, is really, she's the good character. Which everybody... She's misunderstood. She's misunderstood. And she's demonized. And the good witch, in the story, the good witch and the Wicked Witch of the West have a long history together and you see that some of the choices that that glinda the good witch makes are not entirely good choices this is a great book if you don't like horror or terrifying stories or anything like that if you're a fan of the wizard of oz Mm-hmm. Then read Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West by Gregory Maguire. And there's also, I think, three or four other books in the series that come after that, that take characters from The Wizard of Oz and explore those characters and make them fuller. Yeah, I like it when the tables are turned and you yeah. see like a different side of a of a well-known character. Yeah. All right. What's your first one? 
My first one is a book called Cackle by Rachel Harrison. I believe I talked about this one, I don't know, like three or four years ago. Um, But this is a novel that I would characterize as women's fiction with like a little cozy horror element to it. And it's about a high school teacher named Annie who's dumped by her longtime boyfriend. And so she moves away from the city and takes a job in a small quaint town in upstate New York. And there she's befriended by a charming and charismatic woman named Sophie. But people in the small town seem to be just like a little bit afraid of Sophie. But Sophie takes a very special interest in Annie. And as their friendship becomes closer, it also becomes more and more stifling and honestly like a little bit stalkery creepy Mm. and of course we know because this is a witchy episode sophie is a witch but what is her interest in annie and where will it lead does she simply want a friend or is it something more sinister some people call this a horror book i don't really call this a horror book i found it fun at times humorous but it definitely has a little bit of an edge to it and there's a cute little sidekick spider friend which, you know, little animal sidekick characters are always a plus for me. Uh, I listened to this on audiobook and it was great. And this is really a perfect little fall read that's a little bit spooky, but really not scary. Mm. So the name of that is Cackle by Rachel Harrison. Okay, number two. That's All right. Number two. My next one is Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor. So in this book, and this is geared, I would say, middle middle grade. So in this book, the protagonist is named Sunny Nwazu. She's 12. She's an albino girl. who She was born in the U.S., but she moves to Nigeria with her family, since that's where her parents are originally from. And while there, she discovers that she has magical abilities that were never apparent when she was in the U.S. So she becomes friends with three other young people who also have magical powers and they're learning from their magic mentors. They're experiencing this together, this sort of, you know, they're growing up, they're going through this very transitional period of life. And they're also discovering their magic. But together, they work to deal with the terror created by Black Hat Otokoto, a serial killer who can also utilize magic. Because it has these this group of preteen friends who are discovering their magical abilities, it kind of has a little bit of that Harry Potter flavor. But because it is immersed in Nigerian culture, it's very unique. And, and I found it super fascinating. So again, it's Akata Witch by Nettie Okorafor. And I know there's at least one other book in the series because I read it. I actually read this and Akata Warrior to my my boys any number of years ago. All right. What's your next one? Uh, my next one is called Hester by Laurie Lico Albanese. And this is a... It's a historical fiction novel. It's set in Salem, Massachusetts in the early 1800s. The novel imagines the life of the woman who inspired Hester Prynne, the lead character from Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Scarlet Letter. So in this book, the inspiration is a woman named Isabel who immigrates to America with her husband from Scotland. Her husband is an apothecary. He's also a bit of a scoundrel. Um, and he leaves her alone while he serves as sort of their doctor type figure on these ships. But Isabel has some qualities that make her unusual. And that is that she has synesthesia, 
where she can feel colors. It's well, just where it's like where two of your senses kind of right off, which also makes her an extraordinary embroiderer. And so she's able to support herself when her husband is gone by doing this embroidery. But this gift is also one that many of the women in her family have had for generations. And it has made them suspected witches in both Scotland and now America. So this one doesn't really have much actual magic in it, but it shows you how when women sort of stand out for unusual reasons or have unusual characteristics, that that could make them a target for accusations of witchcraft in certain periods of history. And in fact, in this book, one of her, I think it's her her great-grandmother, was burned at the stake because they thought that she was a witch. So again, Misunderstood. Misunderstood. So the name of this book is Hester by Laura Lico Albanese. And so people who are interested in witches as more of a an academic subject, I guess, uh, will find that interesting. But also if you're a fan of like some classic literature, you're interested in Nathaniel Hawthorne and Scarlet Letter and that whole thing, you know, it's got it's got several things that might might interest you in that book. Cool. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Witcher series. <laughs> so, which my husband is watching on TV right well, now. We need to watch it. There's a limit to how many shows I like to have going at a time. We need to finish one of these up before we add a new one and we've just been it's been slow going. So, in the Witcher series of books. So the show is based on books by Andrzej Sapkowski. He's a Polish writer. And two of the books that I'm mentioning, The Last Witch and Blood of Elves. So it's a series, short stories and novels. And the protagonist in the stories is Gerald of Rivia. And he is a beast hunter who kills evil beings that prey on others. He sort of has magical abilities, but not like a traditional witch. Uh, And he's just big and strong and awesome and super hunky, at least. (laughs) At least in the series, right? At least when Henry Cavill plays him. So, you know, he seems that he's just big, bad, mean, but he really has depth to him and a desire to do right. The Last Witch is is a short story collection, which sort of tells some of Geralt's battles. And you get to know a little bit about him. And then it leads into the, the novels. And it also helps explain who Geralt is, what he does, and how he develops a relationship with Yennefer who is a traditional witch and also Siri who has a prophecy about her and how those two women come into his life. So if you're a fan, if you've watched the show and you want to learn more, that's, that's why I read two of those books is because I love the show and I just, I had to get to the original source material. So the Last Witch and Blood of Elves by Andre Sapkowski. That's sort of like high fantasy, yes. wouldn't it be? Yes. Okay. Well, I've got one for you now that's more of like a romanticy. Mm. Uh, it's it's probably one people have heard of, but maybe not. You never know. It's called The Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. And so this is a story of an ancient vampire, a witch, and a bewitched manuscript. And so our main character, Diana Bishop, is a scholar who's doing research at Oxford University, and she uncovers 
a very old a manuscript that behaves a little oddly. When she touches it, like things start happening. So Diana comes from a, a family of witches, but she's always turned away from that part of herself until now. And because her handling of this manuscript has caused some disturbance, like I, I, this makes it sound like Star Wars, but like a disturbance <laughs> in the force, you know, all kinds of supernatural creatures who want the manuscript want to capture her because apparently she's the only one who can unlock the secrets of this manuscript. But there's a vampire, Matthew Claremont, who is a very handsome geneticist. He's a scientist that, who tries to help her. They try, they they make an alliance, and of course, they become more than just two people fighting off the monsters of the underworld. They fall in love and you know have a different kind of alliance. But there's a taboo against witches and vampires coming together. You know, in a romantic way. And so this book was like a form of candy. I read this on a vacation to New Orleans in October several years ago, and I could just not stop reading this book. Uh, an interesting thing about it is that the author, Deborah Harkness, is a history scholar herself. She teaches European history and the history of science at USC in Los Angeles. Uh, there are several books in this series. So if you're a person who likes a nice long series, this one will keep you occupied. I think there's like maybe four or five books in the series. And if you liked Outlander by Diana Gabaldon, this one has a similar vibe, except mm. for instead of being in Scotland, it's like with witches and vampires. Cool. <laughs> oh, and there is a TV adaptation uh, that you can see on AMC that I think maybe has like three or four seasons. I've not seen it, but I hear people like it. So again, the name of that book is The Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. Hmm. All right. So my next one actually doesn't have anything to do with witches. Oh. <laughs> but I'm putting it in here because of the title and where the title comes from. So this book is called The Weird Sisters by Eleanor Brown. I think we, did we read this for book club? Maybe? We did. And it's funny because when you told me you were going to talk about this book, I thought, I don't remember that being about witches. Mm. I must just not remember it correctly. But now that you say it actually has nothing to do with witches, I feel vindicated. So yeah. go ahead. So this is a novel. Uh, it was published in uh, 2011. And it's about three sisters who are named after Shakespearean characters. So Bianca, Cordelia, and Rosalind. And the title of the book, Weird Sisters, is an allusion to the three witches in Shakespeare's Macbeth. So the term weird, W-Y-R-D, is actually, it dates back to the Anglo-Saxons, and it refers to the fates, so, or destiny. But in, in terms of Shakespeare, Shakespeare used it to refer to these three witches. They were called the Weird Sisters. It makes me think about our guest from last week in her book. Yeah. It had the fates in it and all the sisters. Okay. Yes. Yes, cool. absolutely. Okay. okay. So in this novel, The Weird Sisters, three sisters return home to care for their mother who has cancer. And the sisters, they're very different and their lives have gone in completely opposite directions from each other. But when they come back home, you know, dealing with this family crisis, they have to learn how to sort of reacclimate with each other and deal with each other's foibles and their decisions. So 
I liked it because it had the allusions to Shakespeare and it had this idea of are things faded? What are we destined for? But it's also a a novel about sisters. So totally not scary, more of a family drama, but if it does have a connection to witches. So Weird Sisters by Eleanor Brown. I I think it's kind of trying to cheat a little bit. No, 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 no. Because you're talking about Macbeth too, and that has the three witches. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I mentioned that. Uh, That was just an illusion. That's not a review. (laughs) Okay. Whatever. Whatever you say. Okay. All right. What's your, is this your last one? No, I got two more. Okay. Okay. All right. Go ahead. This one really, it's a really cute book. It is called Dragons in a Bag by Zeta Elliott. And this is a children's chapter book. I think it's probably aimed for like, ages nine through 12. Um, and it's really just a delightful read. In this book, Jax is left with this cranky old woman who lives in their apartment building in Brooklyn because his mom has to go to court to keep them from being evicted. And this woman is just, she's just, she's cantankerous, right? And everyone calls her Ma. When he goes in, Ma has this strange box on her kitchen table, and the box seems to squirm about, but she keeps shooing Jax away when he tries to, like, see what's what's going on. And she just really wants Jax to leave her alone because she says that she has some business she has to take care of. But Ma sure does have a lot of books about reptiles of Madagascar on her bookshelves, uh, too, which is kind of strange. But when Ma tells Jax that she needs to make a delivery and would he like to come, Jax jumps at the chance. But it isn't until they go to this portal that's in the form of the guardhouse in Prospect Park in Brooklyn that's protected by a spirit that's dressed as a homeless man that Jax finds out that Ma is actually a witch and the things in the box now in Ma's handbag are not reptiles. They are dragons that need to be delivered to a different dimension. Now I have a soft spot for books that have a tender relationship between a young person and an older person. And this one fits the bill. The character of Ma is sassy and fun. She's a little short tempered on the exterior, but with a heart of gold on the inside. And I, the afterword of this book, the author Zeta Elliott said that one of the reasons that she wanted to write this book and she was inspired was that she felt that young black readers didn't get to see their communities in fantasy novels the way that white readers do. And so she wanted to create this story that had, you know, a, a black witches and, and black spirits. And so in this story, all of the characters are black, except for Jax's best friend, who's an Indian American. Um, this is a first in a trilogy. There are two books after this. My only caveat is it does kind of, it has, it has a satisfying ending, but it's a little bit of a cliffhanger. Mm. So that's the only downside. But for kids this age, they really like to read in series anyways. I mean, the book is not geared towards me, even though I really enjoyed it. It's more geared towards a a much younger reader who then just wants to pick up the next one and start reading it. And I was really excited when I read it. I think I'm going to send a copy to my new step granddaughter because she's about in this age group and... I think she would like it. So again, the name of that book is Dragons in a Bag by Zeta Elliott. Very good. All right. My last book is The Witch of Blackbird Pond by Elizabeth Spear George. I remember reading this when I was a elementary school or middle grader. Hmm. I didn't read it until I was an adult. Really? I, this mm-hmm. is one that I read as a kid. 
So it's a middle grade novel set in 1600s Connecticut. And Kit Tyler is the protagonist. She had lived with her father in the Caribbean until his death. But rather than marrying an old man, which was really the only option for her, when her grandfather died, she hops on a boat and ends up in the colonies and sort of just lands at her mother's sister's family. She lands with her aunt and says, hey, take me in. So she has a lot of adjusting to do. She has gone from basically being able to do whatever she wants to being in a Puritan household with all its rules and chores. And so she bristles against that. She befriends an old woman who the townspeople consider a witch, which ends up putting Kit's safe existence in the community in peril. So this is definitely a story of a girl who is not a witch, but is misunderstood and wants to break free of the rules that this little community has put on her. And so it's easier to call her a witch than to note that she is an independent thinker. So anyway, The Witch of Blackbird Pond by Elizabeth George Spear. This one was a Newbery Award winner way back in the day. Okay, I have one last one. Last one. This one's a short story, but it's a good one. It's called My Evil Mother by Margaret Atwood. And so Atwood wrote this a couple of years ago as part of a series for Amazon Kindle. Amazon does these short story collections for download on a theme, and they get different well-known writers to write a story on this theme. I don't remember what the theme was uh, for this particular one, but this story is a real treat. It's about a teenage girl who's living in the suburbs with a single mother in the 1950s, and her mother has always given her the impression that she is a witch. She may look like a homemaker in her pearls and her aprons, but she's doing some strange things like growing and harvesting weird plants in the backyard. And there's hushed conversations with neighbor women in distress. And her mother warns her about her boyfriend and tells her daughter that if she doesn't stop seeing him, he will die in a terrible car accident. Mm. So the teen just thinks that her mother is just a big old bitch, basically. But as she comes of age and is an adult herself, her views on her mother change. And as a mother with a daughter just out of, of her teens myself, this story made me laugh. You can get the audio for free uh, if you have Amazon Prime and you decide to, to get this book. But I want to read the first line of this story because it really just pulls you in. You're so evil, I said to my mother. I was 15, the talkback age. I take that as a compliment, she said. Yes, I'm evil, as others might define that term, but I use my evil powers only for good, mm. her mother says. <laughs> this is a great little story, and it's called My Evil Mother by Margaret Atwood. Hmm. We've given you 10 books, 11 if you count Macbeth. And Which don't. Which, okay, you don't, whatever. But we're going to get one more book recommendation from a fellow book lover. And then we'll be back. And I don't know what we're going to do then. Who knows? Hi, I'm Megan Geary. I'm the 2020 Connecticut Teacher of the Year, and I teach English at Woodland Regional High School. I believe literacy is liberation and that readers can change the world for the better. My five-star read is Celine by Peter Heller. I read Celine over a year ago, but I've selected it for this because Heller has recently released a new novel, and I'm seeing a lot of bookstagram buzz about him with people curious about his backlist. 
Oh my gosh, read his backlist. Celine is a tight, well-plotted mystery, full of charm and layered with unexpected thrills and humor. Celine herself is a compelling character, richly complex and utterly delightful. And I seriously wish she were a real person who was my friend or my aunt or my neighbor, someone I could drink coffee with as she told me her stories or gave me advice. Peter Heller is a fantastic writer. He's known for his ability to render descriptions of the natural world that take your breath away. He is truly a craftsman of language and a master at unfurling a quiet, taut mystery. In Celine, whether he's describing the view of Manhattan from the banks of Brooklyn or the endless skies and mountain peaks of the great American West, Heller's imagery glows. It leaps from the pages, bringing the reader easily and completely into the setting and into the lives of the characters who live there. Celine is, at its core, a mystery, and the mystery is a very good one, but it's more than your typical detective novel. It's nuanced and observant and full of heart. Set in the year after the attacks of September 11th, the main character is wading through that grief while also mourning the deaths of her sisters and battling a very private pain of a long-ago sadness. She is also a recovering alcoholic and emphysematic, and yet she's wildly full of life, her zeal infectious and endearing, zeal that lands her in precarious predicaments that will keep you turning the pages of this wonderful little book. I have been hoping for a sequel ever since finishing it, and I can't recommend it enough. We're back, and I am loving this weather we've been having. We're heading into October, and it's been getting cooler at night and cool in the mornings, and I'm loving it because really, I'm a fall and winter gal. I mean, I like summer if it means I can sit on a patio and drink wine, but I don't like hot. So, Carrie, what's something you love about October? Well, something that I love about October is fall break. We have our fall break next week, and I'm so excited not to have to wake up at 530 every morning. You have some big plans. You, you're you busy. Well, you're busy not, too busy. not too busy. Not too busy. We've got a couple, we're going to record, right? We're going to do a couple episodes and then I'm. You're going to be gallivanting over to a casino in Indiana. Well, we don't go to the casino. We don't know. We're going to a historic (laughs) hotel. How about we say that? Because I don't. Connect to a casino. No. No (laughs) casino. Carrie, have you added a new book to your TBR? I have. Did I mention Beaverland? I can't remember if I mentioned (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) I thought this would be kind of interesting. The book is called Beaverland. Now, if you have a mind that goes directly to the gutter, then you can think that this book is about females. But it's It's not. It's soft porn. Okay. It's not soft porn. It's, let me read the subtitle. Uh, Beaverland, How One Weird Rodent Made America by Layla Phillip. And this was published in 2022. And I just thought that sounded kind of interesting. It's just about beavers. And it must have been, I think it was some kind of video because I remember them talking about how beavers have had, because they build these dams, they can really help ecosystems grow. Because even once the, the beavers leave the area, the dam has formed and it helps attract other wildlife. It provides water, uh, bees, uh, birds, insects. Uh, anyway, so I thought that'd be kind of cool because I am a little granola, a little crunchy. And 
I want to read about beavers. So anyway, I've heard of that book. Okay, Maybe I heard really? about it. Yeah, I think I've heard of that I book. Bet you saw, I bet you saw it on my Goodreads. <laughs> that could be it. That, that could be it. I do think beavers are kind of cute, though. So They are. I've seen this little video online somewhere where there's a beaver who, for whatever reason, can't live in the wild. Mm-hmm. So he's living in like a wildlife rescue or whatever. And they they give him like a pile of toys or something. And he makes like a wall. Right. Like he takes all these toys and he makes himself a little wall with them. So they'll do it even if it's not it's outside. It's just instinctive. Yeah. It's just it's instinctive. what they do. All right. What about you? What's a book that you've added to your TBR? Well, the National Book Award long list came out when listeners are hearing this, but there were a couple books on there that sounded really interesting to me. Uh, One of them is one that our favorite bookseller, Sam Miller mentioned uh, when she was talking about summer reads called Loot by Tanya James, who is a author who I was not familiar with, but apparently she used to live in Kentucky. And then the other one that I'm super interested in because it deals with my home state is called Night Watch by Jane Ann Phillips. And it is set uh, in the aftermath of the Civil War in 1874. And a 12 year old girl goes with her mother to because her mother has not spoken in more of the, in more than a year, and they arrive at the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West Virginia. And this interests me partly because it's in West Virginia. I have heard of that lunatic asylum. It is now closed, but I guess you can go and take tours of it. I like historical fiction set during that time period. So it kind of clicked a lot of boxes for me. So very good. Anyway, that is it. We we hope that these books that we've suggested this week have put a spell on you. There you go. (laughs) So join us next week when we have more spooky things going on. See you next week. For show notes for any episode, go to our website at perksofbeingabooklover.com. We're also on Instagram at perksofbeingabooklover.pod and on Facebook at perksofbeingabooklover. We hope that this episode has bewitched you into wanting to listen to all of our episodes. So if you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us or leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Or if you want to get in touch with us, uh, there is a contact link on our website. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there live or in archives at forwardradio.org. 